would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. In the Zoom Cron. In Zoom Cron. Week, week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist, Travis. William, William Skink Matier. That's right. You are tuning in to another episode of Zoom Cron Week in Review. This week, we are looking at February 13th through the 17th. So one day before Valentine's Day of 2023 is how this week started. Um, and I'm actually in my studio solo this morning. This is Saturday morning, bright and early before 7 a.m., um, and I'm in here recording solo because I started off this week with a very personal post that I'm going to be discussing. So the first two posts, actually, I'm going to get into, um, but I will have Allie in the studio later today to be discussing um, some very interesting developments, specifically in the Rebecca Barsati case. Um, there was a court hearing in Judge Marks's courtroom, and there is a lot of stuff going on that I absolutely need Ali to help me understand because I do not have a legal background. I am an independent journalist. I'm an artist, poet, songwriter. Um, none of that necessarily lends itself to getting into the criminal justice system and, and understanding some of the nuances by actually being in court. Another thing that, um, that I, I actually can do is I can go into city council chambers and I can go into some of these places now because the pandemic is over right? And so we're able to go back into these public spaces. Um, and the benefit of going into these public spaces is you absolutely get more information, you get more context when you're actually in these these places. Um, and I know that because I, I read some of the reports from the official reporters, working at local newspapers like the Missoulian, they're, they're tuning into city council, even on Wednesdays, the committee hearings, you know, they're, they're tuning in via Zoom. So they're not actually going into city council chambers all the time. Sometimes they do. Sometimes the reporters actually do show up in person. But a lot of times they don't. That gives me, an independent journalist, writing uh, a blog, which I've done for many, many years, which you can check out at zoomcron.com. That's www.zoomchron.com. So you can go and check out my blog. I put up five articles a week posting at 7 a.m. and then Sundays it's time to figure out what the hell happened. So what the hell did happen this week? Well, we began the week at ZoomCron on a personal note. The title of the post posted on February 13th is I will never forget their cowardice. They? Who's they? Hmm, well, the first line gives you a pretty good indication of who I am talking about. I write, it's tiring hating my father, and also a bit of a cliche, but since I don't flee from the anger anymore by self-medicating with alcohol, I just have to endure the waves of rage as they hit, 
sometimes with tsunami level force. Yeah, that's how I started that post. Fun, fun, fun. It's always good um, ripping your heart open a bit and uh, putting it out there for other people then to comment on um, because some comments certainly did come in. But why am I writing about um, being sad about my dad, uh, not showing enough love when I was growing up? What's, what's actually going on there? Well, it's interesting because, so let's see, let me back up a little bit. As a writer of quote-unquote fiction, um, I actually started writing a story back in 2015 about a future version of Missoula that feels like it's kind of coming true now. I mean, I wrote about trains back then, and now there's a lot of train action that we'll be discussing today um, that happened this week. But it's interesting as I look back and think about one of the the figures that I'm using in my quote-unquote fiction. Um, He's a real person. His name is Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison is a fairly well-known musician. Uh, I should should probably say quote-unquote with that too, quote-unquote musician, because Jim sang with the doors. He considered himself more of a poet, and he had a daddy. That's right, Jim Morrison had a daddy, like we all do. We all have daddies and mommies. And Jim Morrison's daddy is an interesting guy because he started, um, not started, he helped escalate the Vietnam War by being an admiral in the Navy involved in the Tet Offensive. That little piece of information which blew apart my brain many years ago came to me via Dave McGowan and his weird scenes inside the canyon where he looked at the counterculture figures that we really, a lot of people have come to, to love and be inspired by. As an artist myself, I was pretty inspired by the counterculture, by the beatniks. Wow, things have been turned upside down for me in, in terms of my own sort of pantheon of artists I used to look up to. Jim Morrison is, is one. And so Jim Morrison came to me as a musician via a movie called Lost Boys. And I remember that movie very distinctly. Uh, my dad who I am writing about in this first post. Very into music, although wasn't a hippie pot smoker. Like I started rebelling in my teenage years in that form, that sort of cookie cutter form of rebellion given to us by the counterculture, actually given to us by the CIA, but that's a, that's a longer version of that story. Jim Morrison, Lost Boys. Don't invite the vampires in, but sometimes you do. Sometimes you go to work in corporate America And sometimes money becomes a lot more important than anything else. You have to have money to survive in this world, obviously. Um, And as I go through a personal process of dissolving a contract I had a lot of faith in almost 20 years ago, it's it's an entanglement of, of personal issues that were compounded by a little pandemic that happened a couple years ago. Yes, that pandemic does play into the narrative, Unfortunately, because as I've come to experience both personally and then just observing the world and all the people I see around me, um, both in real life and social media, if you had problems going into the pandemic, if you had sort of personal health problems, if you had social problems, the tension and stress brought on by uh, sociopathic imposition of health measures that were proven to be not effective, you know, those stress lines would, would oftentimes lead to fractures, and I am not a unique person. I thought I was a lot more special than I turned out to be in terms of my ability to get through tough times, my ability to, to follow through on my end of, a, of an agreement, you know, that you say in front of your friends and family, say, yep, we're going we're gonna to stick it out, you know, in sickness and in health. <laughs> well, if the numbers are any indication, a lot of people aren't able to do that. Um, for the long haul, I made it almost 20 years. Um, 
And now that is wrapping up. So why, again, why am I writing about this? Well, as I was thinking about Jim Morrison and texts that I should not send, even though I do send some of those texts from time to time, Jim Morrison has been really bouncing around in my head and not just Jim Morrison, but a movie that I, I wanted to watch again. So I did late, 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 late Friday night, early Saturday morning. I watched Apocalypse Now. Did I did I realize the movie started with Jim Morrison's song, The End? Probably. Yeah, but um, not consciously. So when I sat down to watch the film, that is the song that opened up. That is the specific song I had in mind. And Apocalypse Now. Holy cow. So I try to take personal stories and sort of form them into anecdotes to push them out into larger narrative structures, right? And what I started realizing when I was watching the movie Apocalypse Now was just, and I've, I've known this, but really how deep this kind of uh, control mechanism that's now manifesting through a inoculation program through a vaccination program, just what might be actually kind of going on um, behind the actual actions of inoculation. And I say that because I was kind of shocked when Colonel Kurtz made a little, uh, told a little story to, um, to Willard after Willard goes up the river, goes deep, deep, deep into the heart of darkness, and he finds fucked up Colonel Kurtz doing all kinds of crazy shit out in the jungle. Why did Colonel Kurtz go crazy? Well, here is the narrative. So I actually went into the transcript and I copy and pasted for the post and I will read this to you now. So this is Colonel Kurtz. I've seen horrors, horrors that you've seen, but you have no right to call me a murderer. You have a right to kill me. You have a right to do that, but you have no right to judge me. It's impossible for words to describe what is necessary to those who do not know what horror means. Horror. Horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Horror and the moral terror are your friends. If they are not, then they are enemies to be feared. They are truly enemies. I remember when I was with special forces, seems a thousand centuries ago. We went into a camp to inoculate the children. We left the camp after we had inoculated the children for polio. And this old man came running after us, and he was crying. He couldn't see. We went back there, and they had come and hacked off every inoculated arm. There they were in a pile, a pile of little arms. And I remember, I, I, I cried. I wept like some grandmother. I wanted to tear my teeth out. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I want to remember it. I never want to forget it. I never want to forget. And then I realized, like I was shot, like I was shot with a diamond, a diamond bullet right through my forehead. And I thought, my God, the genius of that, the genius, the will to do that. Perfect, genuine, complete, crystalline, pure. And then I realized they were stronger than we because they could stand that, they're, that these were not monsters. These were men, trained cadres, these men who fought with their hearts, who had families, who had children, who were filled with love, but they had the strength, the strength to do that. If I had 10 divisions of those men, our troubles here would be over very quickly. 
you have to have men who are moral and, at the same time, who are able to utilize their primordial instincts to kill without feeling, without passion, without judgment, without judgment. Because it's judgment that defeats us. Whoa, Kurtz, that's a pretty intense story, huh? Um, yeah, you can maybe see why uh, Colonel Kurtz went a little nuts out there in the jungle. Well, I take a look at that story, and here is what I wrote in response. So this is from the blog post. The diamond shot that fucked up Kurtz is a cerebral reaction to the annihilation of the heart, which then leads him into a dangerous assumption that these others he witnesses actually, or these others... Um, he witnesses acting brutally are fighting with heart. Kurtz assumes his men aren't of a higher caliber because they are different kinds of men, and that's not true. It's not about what the men are fighting with. It's about what they are fighting for. And the problem with the West's occupying colonial presence in Vietnam is that they aren't really fighting for anything. Oh, that's not true. That's not true. Young American men were killing and dying in the jungles of Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos and, 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 for sociopaths who think there are too many dirty humans on this planet to share limited resources with. These sociopaths love imposing infrastructure that benefits their bottom line, and they can't accomplish their goals without lo their loyal flying monkeys flapping out from the castle to protect the sorcerers of bullshit. Yes, flying monkeys. Um, a topic that I'm interested in and... I know Allie, I don't want to speak for her, but I know um, she is interested in this topic as, as well. Predators, sociopaths, psychopaths, the, the sort of spectrum of the personality disorder, um, how that represents not just people that can potentially harm us, um, but how that actually infects in an almost spiritual way institutions, organizations, government, nonprofits, private sector. Um, so trying to take this personal story and I know there's still a lot of people out there struggling with with decisions they made in the last couple of years whether or not your own family may have agreed with those decisions um, I'm very excited to hear that a podcaster by the name of Dean Reiner is back and I listened to his his first episode returning and it's heartbreaking to find out in the manner he did um, that a that a child has, had some kind of medical intervention that you don't agree with. That is a hard thing to deal with. I am lucky that um, one of the points of disagreement between my partner and I was not whether to jab the kids. They, they did not get that intervention. So I'm actually very, very happy that that was a point of agreement. But when it comes to daddy, my daddy, well, you know, he, he didn't agree that I was making the right choice. He thinks that um, Big Pharma and Fauci were the people that I should have been listening to, and I was doing a really, making a big mistake, a big, big mistake. Well, a little background on what was going on with the post is my mistake was reaching out to ask for some financial support. And in that messy ask, some, some justification for why my family, my dad said, no, we're not going to give you any help so that you can afford um, independent representation so that your side of the dissolution of this contract is is represented by a, a lawyer. Um, the reason was, well, you know, the kids. It's the kids. 
we're thinking of the grandkids, um, their, their safety, their health, you know, we're, we're keeping that in mind, said dad. And then text message, um, a text message that I took out of the post, decided not to include that. I'm tempted to look at my phone and read it right now. No, I'm not going to do it. I can paraphrase. The idea about what's good for my kids or not, it, it, it's a little touchy for me, if you can, if you can imagine, um, a little touchy. The fact that you know, I've been not living in my house now for 10, 10 months, just the, the, the struggle I have every day to make sure that I see them. I don't see them right when they wake up in the morning. You know, I don't see them um, late at night. Uh, unfortunately, I have to just take the time I can, whether that's picking them up from school or whatever it is that I'm going to be able to do to see them, to spend the limited time that I have on a day-to-day basis. And so it's very difficult, very challenging, in part because I'm in this situation because not everyone agrees, you know, about how to respond to what's happened in the last couple of years. Now, a lot of the the conspiracy podcasters I listen to um, are really just so circuit blown from all the things that are happening in the last couple of weeks. Um, It really is a overwhelming time to be trying to pay attention to stuff. I'm glad that I am still able to look locally at what's happening because um, it's, it's nice to be able to not get just carried away by some of these national narratives that do threaten to carry people away. I mean, I've seen, I've seen what QAnon has done to, to people's brains and that can be not pretty. So um, wrapping up this post, let me take a look. I did, even though I did not include um, a text I received, I did include a image of what I thought cowardice looks like. And the image is a small portion of a vaccination card. Check, check, check. You got your jab, jab, jab. Staying up to date. Thumbs up, Dad. Um, I'm glad that you're going along with the program. We still live in a country in which I think I'm able to say no to a medical intervention I don't agree with. And it's not going to be imposed on me unless we live in Nazi America. Do we, do we live in a Nazi sort of America? Are we supporting Nazis in Ukraine? Oh, did we accept Nazis after World War II in a program called Operation Paperclip? Uh, maybe, maybe we did. Dad doesn't like that narrative. That narrative makes his America seem kind of scary and mean. Um, I think he would prefer to have a different uh, America in his mind, uh, an America that MSNBC talks to him about. And that America frankly, is a bunch of fucking bullshit. And a man smart as my dad is, because he is a smart man. He's not, he's not a dummy. That's one of the more demoralizing aspects of watching really effective corporate propaganda take someone away psychologically, cognitively, takes, takes them away into an area that um, does not represent what's actually happening. It's fascinating. Disturbing. So check out that post. That's the first post of the week. Um, also had a little screenshot, of course, the, <laughs> the Grammys. Oh, the fun Sam Smith satanic Grammy performance brought to you by Pfizer. Um, could it be any more in your face? I don't think so. Okay, so moving on. The, the next post touches on some national narratives, but from a more local perspective, since it is Montana, where the Chinese balloon was first seen, Billings, Montana. So Montana is definitely now playing a role with our Senator John Tester. John Tester sees some uh, opportunity to maybe get some money, maybe shake down the federal government for some money in case any more scary, scary Chinese balloons float through the sky. 
Um, there's been some stuff shot down since then. Um, I believe a potential balloon, like a literal, just like a balloon with some kind of small, small ham radio type device that this hobby group was flying. I think that was taken out potentially. There's some speculation from that hobby group that their Pico balloon with a metallic veneer painted over it was was removed by a $400,000 Sidewinder missile. Maybe that happened. That's pretty funny. Um, but the post on Valentine's Day, a day that I sort of loathed, but we're not going to get into that. Um, maybe we'll keep that for the song at the end of the post or at the end of the podcast episode. So yeah, stay, stay, stay tuned for the very end when you can listen to a ukulele song brought to you by me. That'll be the Valentine Day gift. Um, here we have a post called Objects in the Sky versus Objects on the Ground. And there's a picture that I start with with John Tester. And his quote, I don't want a damn balloon going across the U.S. Oh, that's our that's our folksy, our folksy farmer, Senator John Tester, uh, making emphatic points with his hands and all seven of his fingers. So objects in the sky are suddenly a very compelling topic for our leaders to be discussing in serious terms. This is me. This is me writing at the at the post. Since the first one was allegedly a Chinese provocation over American airspace, now there have been multiple shootdowns, a Chinese claim of tracking a UAP or something, and the conspiracy pod talkers are all talking about Project Bluebeam. That's right, Project Bluebeam. Project Bluebeam is fun. It's a it's a fun project, right? And it's one of these things that spans both nonfiction, since it seems to be a somewhat real thing that was developed by this dude that we'll talk about here in a second. But it's also something that shows up in a work of fiction. Um, Mark Frost's companion novel to David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Oh boy, that's right. David Lynch, born in Missoula. So, um, to get a little bit more context, um, here is a little bit from Wikipedia. So, Serge Monast is this Canadian, Canadian guy, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, since... Yeah, that, just keep that in the back of your mind. Canada. Keep that, keep that in mind. Um, so here is from the little quote from Wikipedia. In 1994, he published Project Bluebeam, in which he detailed his claim that NASA, with the help of the United Nations, was attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technologically simulated second coming of Christ. He also gave talks on this topic. Other conspiracy theorists have noted the similarity of Project Bluebeam to the plots of Gene Roddenberry's unreleased 1975 Star Trek movie treatment of The God Thing and the 1991 Star Trek The Next Generation episode Devil's Do. Isn't that fun? So you were, we're already getting into the overlap into fiction. So much fun. So much fun to be living in a movie or a simulation or whatever the fuck's going on. So Project Bluebeam. Obviously, I've, I've looked at this book, and I've um, actually read most of it. This is The Secret History of Twin Peaks, a novel by Mark Frost. And so I, I take it off the shelf, and I'm flipping through. And it's interesting because um, there's all kinds of what I call visual ephemera in this book. And so this book is exp kind of acting like this is like all real cases and bringing in this real investigation. And so there's all these different images. And Aleister Crowley even like pops up in this book, of course, right? But there is... Um, a list of books in the book house or the clubhouse or something, um, which is in Twin Peaks. And there's a list of books that the um, author includes. And I just find it fascinating because there are, um, I think, little clues. I, th I have an opinion 
that or a perspective a theory maybe um that psychopaths sociopaths there is a real sick delight they take in um telegraphing what they're doing and giving little hints little tells um it's a it's sort of a mockery power dynamic thing at play i'll get more into that um hopefully in my conversation with ali but um looking at this picture i see stephen king's book the stand i see to kill a mockingbird um we've got uh the world according to garp um of course uh hunter s thompson is in there with fear and loathing on the campaign trail um, and then even the Warren Commission report, isn't that interesting? Very interesting books to be included um, in this in this weird sort of meta book on the show Twin Peaks. So um, the reason why this starts kind of playing into what's happening with objects on the ground. So we've got the objects in the sky. Everyone's looking up, wondering if there's balloons or aliens or what might be going on. But on the ground, we have trains. We do. We have we have trains. We have train tracks, and now we have train derailments. And I say derailments plural because we have a bunch of them. We have multiple train derailments, and the big one getting a lot of attention is in East Palestine. Um, I just want to make a quick note. I'm not sure how everyone ahead of time knew how to say East Palestine instead of Palestine. I look at it and just think Palestine. No, everyone's saying East Palestine. So in East Palestine, Ohio, on February third. There was a train derailment, and then someone made a decision to blow up the chemicals. Yes, to burn off the chemicals. This has created one of uh, what's going to be one of the most probably serious train chemical contamination disasters uh, in U.S. history. I, I don't think I'm over exaggerating the the potential of what's of what's happening right now. So. Um, what is absolutely bizarre, and this has been noted by people like Monica Perez, is that Netflix has been pushing a movie called White Noise. And White Noise is about a train derailment. Chemicals, I haven't seen the movie yet. I heard it's not all that great of a movie. It was filmed in the area of East Palestine. Not only that, but there are people that were actually in this movie, extras, that then were part of the evacuation area. Um, this is causing people to wonder if we're in a simulation. Um, Monica Perez po postulated that maybe this is just testing our uh, credulity. <laughs> I can't say this word right. Credulity? Um, incredulous. It is absolutely mind-blowing. It is. And I've got some, I've got some theories, but I'm not going to get into it too much right now. Um, but it's just, it's, it's so bizarre. For a long time, I've been looking at the overlap of fiction and nonfiction. There's a term called predictive programming that is something that I think people need to take more seriously, and we need smarter brains really examining some of these really interesting trends, phenomenons, because something is happening, and what it is, we're not entirely sure. Um, I think we are starting to get glimpses of how deeply we are being fucked with um, in this fifth-generation warfare mind war kind of environment. Um, one of the things I was thinking of is AI and, and how AI is being deployed. Because right now, AI is one of these topics that's become very hot. Everyone's talking about the different AI chat functions and whether or not these, these chat bots are becoming sentient. If we've passed like the singularity point, um, yada, yada, yada. 
once we are being told something exists, that means it's probably the all the stuff in the last 10, 15, 20 years that really has been going on with AI um, is now probably being activated in ways that we're not even aware of. And so we get to see after they've you know completed or, or <laughs> after they're done with a piece of technology, the rollout we see is not anywhere near the capacity of what's actually being used. That would be my opinion. That would be my hunch. And so... It's almost like if if there is an attempt to if AI is is smart enough to actually somehow even direct disasters in ways that will psychologically disorient the people paying the closest attention. So if you're looking at these conspiracy podcasters and you know all all these all these folks are are trying to understand the true nature of reality, you know, I'm I consider myself one of those folks, right? And I know some people get triggered by the word folks. I'll try not to use that that word too much. What actually might be happening is so difficult to wrap your head around because um, I, I really think we are all victims and targets of a psychological warfare strategy that does not exist within nation states any longer. People are looking at nations like China and Russia and Ukraine thinking that these are actual autonomous nation states. I think that might be a wrong way of thinking about it these days. Um, I really <clears throat> am leaning more towards this um, sorcerocracy um, that Christopher Knowles, a synchromystic, is taking a look at, looking at the occult aspects of stuff and, and really wondering whether or not it's more sorcery than science that is running the world. Um, I've also been listening to a new podcast, not new to me, the PSYOP Cinema Guys. Fascinating stuff, looking at predictive programming, looking at a lot of the the threads within cinema that, that can be discerned in terms of some of these wider agendas that seem to be driven in part by movies, getting us ready in the mental terrain to deploy ideas like weapons. Things to think about. Well, those are the first two posts that I wanted to touch on today. Um, so I'm going to wrap up this little portion of the Week in Review, but stay tuned because there's more. There is so much more. There's going to be clips of a podcast about trains. You're going to hear Dave Strohmeyer talking about the Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority. Yeah, you might not think that sounds exciting, but let me tell you, we're going to, we're going to get down and dirty with trains and a few other things. Um, not to mention, like I said, the update on the Rebecca Barsati case. This is a really very difficult to understand legal process that I am watching play out in front of me, and I'm very excited to have Ali back to continue that discussion about what the heck is going on. That's the idea. So stay tuned. You're listening to Week in Review. We'll be back very soon. Okay, and we are back. For you, the listening audience, no time has gone by. For me, I have gone up the mountain. Yes, I drove up a mountain here in Missoula, Montana. I did what I needed to do, and then I descended down the mountain. Um, and it is now about 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon, and I have some backup, luckily. So, Allie, say hello. Hi. Allie is here to help me get through the rest of the week in review. Um, and that's a good thing because I covered the first two posts which you just got done listening to, talking about how daddy didn't love me enough and how there's objects in the sky and there's objects on the ground and all kinds of crazy shit's going down. So 
To get back up to speed, the next post we're going to be discussing, I'm going to scroll down at zoomcron.com. That is the blog where I post all my stuff, and you can read it five times a week. That's right, Monday through Friday, I post at 7 a.m. And this next post that we're going to discuss, and I pardon, pardon my voice. If, if you've noticed a change in my voice, it is a little strained. I'm not going to get into the details about that, um, but I will acknowledge my voice is just a little bit strained. Okay, so we're going to be discussing the free bus service here in Missoula, Montana. Shouldn't be too controversial, right? A bus service. You want to make it free for everyone. You want equity. You want inclusion. If you're a woke liberal community like Missoula, Montana, or as I like to call it, Zoom Town, since the pandemic and a lot of people with money wanted to move here, well, um, we're going to discuss a little bit about the change that happened that I saw directly when the bus system went free. So Zero Fare started back in 2015. I was still working at the homeless shelter back then. And in trying to put into context what's going on in this particular incident that happened just recently in 2023, um, I discussed a little bit about my time working at the shelter and the incentive a day pass actually provided, not just an incentive, but a sort of filter. So um, the bus actually costs a little bit of money and as I had these day passes that were free, the questions I asked the clients on the streets that I worked with to try and connect them to services, you know, I would, I would ask them a few questions just to kind of ascertain if something productive was going to happen with the day pass. Now, maybe people lied to me and just rode the bus around all day, or maybe they went to the mall to hang out with friends. Um, I took a lot of stuff at face value and I did my, did my job. Now, law enforcement has to do their job. What is their job? Law enforcement um, will have to respond if someone gets on a bus and decides to expose himself to a young girl, and that's what happened recently. Um, instead of just reading the post, I'm going to actually read some comments. So we're going to get into the commentary, because the comment that first arrived on this post seems to indicate the sense that uh, I'm making a big deal out of an isolated incident. So here is Willie B., making a comment. Here's Willie B. I'm outraged at free bus service. They cost thousands more sexual assaults than churches and even drag shows. If only we could be a good Christian nation in charge for bus service, that would prevent all of the bus-enabled sexual assault cases and own all those Marxist libs. In this society, we need to limit sexual assault to private vehicles or pay services such as Uber and Lyft. Please, think of the children. Free bus service basically grooms Missoulians to expose and assault the children. Travis, you said it best. That's sarcasm, by the way. Hmm. That's a fun one. So um, the comment that I added just a, a few days ago, I think this was actually oh yeah, pretty uh, early in the morning as I don't often sleep uh, at night. Um, the, the comment that I made brought, a, brought to attention a, a new article uh, at KGVO. Um, and the article is about a person who started randomly punching people. Um, this individual was someone who had actually been trespassed from the, the bus transfer center in downtown Missoula. Um, despite being trespassed, he some, for some reason is not recognizing the, the law. Weird. Weird how some people just don't seem to give a shit about the laws and will go back over and over to a place where they've actually been lawfully ejected from. And so after five times this individual returning to the bus transfer property, which he's no longer allowed on legally, um, he started randomly punching people in the face. And so now he's got some housing. 
secured, and that housing is in the Missoula County Detention Facility. So um, I don't know if there's anything we can necessarily add. Um, we'll just continue looking at some commentary. No, I I have a few things to add if you want to. Oh yes, absolutely. I wasn't that. sure what the hand signs were. I, I was. Oh uh, um, yeah, I I didn't get to see the comments so when I heard it. That was my first hearing of that. I think so. It was so. The are you referring to the Willie B comment? Yes. Yes. So in some ways, point well taken. Insofar as. Uh, whether a bus service is free or not doesn't preclude people from committing offenses. And and so mm-hmm. I would tip the hat to that. Yes, that's obviously true. I think it's always goes down to a question of enforcement. Um, so I would ask, what is what correlation do you see between the bus fare being free and the prevalence of, for example, um, sexual harassment on Right. So, um, so one example, back when I was working at the shelter, um, when I was handing out these bus passes, I actually reached out to Mountain Line. So Mountain Line operates the bus service. Um, and the reason I did that is because I wanted to know if they had a list of people that they had trespassed so that I could not give out bus passes to those people. Sure. I was never able to get that information. But let's say you have someone who has an order of protection and there's been some active complaints and they're not allowed um, to be on the bus because there was some offense related mm-hmm. to the bus system. I, w- I was looking to know that information and help with my <clears throat> meager ability to provide a filter in, in, in order to keep the bus from being a, a platform for harassment. So if I was able to um, figure out that maybe this person wasn't going to be able to use the bus if it wasn't for a day pass, then I would, re- I would withhold a day pass. I would be able to actively have a list myself of people that were not able to currently um, access my services or mm-hmm. my resources. Mm-hmm. Not mine, but my programs. Um, so... I, I think um, there is this obviously a stigma. We're talking about free, and if it's free, um, then the poors are going to flood into the service, and it's only the poor people that we have to worry about. The the dirty, smelly, um, and I, there were some odor issues that I helped address, which is a real thing. Um, but but I, I don't want that to be a simplistic stigma that I'm trying to put on this because I have sure. direct experience actually working um, before and after. So one example, I don't know if I brought this up in the post, um, in Missoula, Montana, for people that aren't familiar with this, we have a, a town called Bonner east of Missoula. So Bonner's kind of at the, the mouth of the Blackfoot Canyon where the Blackfoot River's coming down. And Bonner is a place where there's a route, mountain line route, that ends, this kind of end of the line. So when mountain line went free, I was ap- absolutely talking to residents of Bonner that saw the before and after. So they saw more people being able to get on the bus at the end of the day with whatever beer maybe they bought at the convenience store. And they, they noticed the beer because the trash can in the park where the people would be mm-hmm. dropped off the bus would be full of trash spilling over oftentimes. And we're talking more warmer months. So it might not be just homeless people, but travelers, transients, the seasonal population. Um, but people out in Bonner started seeing encampments popping up out there where previously they did not have that issue. And so there was this sense of a free bus service spreading out some of the issues of chronic homelessness, untreated addiction, mental health issues, all those things you think of when you think of, um, you know, homeless services, for example, that's been in the news recently um, as Whitefish and Kalispell up north have problems with services and, and the different types of folks that might be attracted to those services. 
Um, so I, I think there is a question of, do you allow a more unstable element by making the bus free? And one of the things that I, I, I connected in the post is the fact that increased ridership allowed federal grants to be obtained. And so if you're, sure. if you're looking for um, shifting on a larger scale the transportation habits of people, um, especially as maybe habits are hard to, hard to break, you know, people that like their cars, that want the, the freedom to sort of move about as they deem necessary and sort of on their own time frame, it might be kind of challenging to, to do that on your own as a municipality. You're going to need federal money. And later when we talk about trains, we're going to talk about a federal study of $15 million that Dave Strohmeyer, our county commissioner, is pretty darn excited about. So, um, but right now we're talking about buses. We are talking about buses and the activities that happen on the bus. And of course, it might be helpful to say that when I write a post, um, there oftentimes, not always, but there oftentimes is more to the story. So I, I know that there is going to be some conversations happening with employees of Mountain Line at some point and some concerns that they have had, former employees, I think. And, and so without getting you know, ahead of myself or getting into an area where it's not really my place to speak, um, I have heard some rumors and you know, from people, I, uh, sources I trust. And so I think there is going to be a larger conversation about safety on the bus. Yeah. Should we move along? Sure. Yeah, let's move along. Okay. Um, first, let me try and find where we're at. So we're, we're talking about buses, and now we are going to shift to... Oh, that's right. We're going to um, shift along to... Um, what's the title of the post? What more can we do to make them feel safe? Were there any other comments on... J. Kevin Hunt made a comment. He's a frequent commenter. It is a long comment. We can skip over it for now. Okay. What more can we do to make them feel safe? That is the question in the post from February 16th. And it, it's actually a combination of two news stories that caught my attention. One of them that I think we'll, we'll maybe focus on just for a bit is the MMZs. And uh, that's a acronym. I'm not an acronym, but that's a... Yeah, acronym, MMZ, Multimodal yeah. Zealot. I think I'm going to try and make that a thing. So the MMZs are concerned that there are vehicles that run red lights. And Montana is a state that says, no, you can't use those red light cameras. You can't do it. And the people on bikes are like, but this person in Bozeman was killed. And they also said um, his kids would have been annihilated if it wasn't for banana muffins. That was part of the article. Uh, yeah. So there's a tragedy, right? And this is, this is oftentimes what happens. We have, we have this legislative session every two years, and people bring bills or they bring their sort of pet projects, whatever it might be. But sometimes legislation um, derives from tragedy, and that's not always a bad thing. Um, sometimes it takes a tragedy to highlight something that is ridiculous um, or a you know, gap in, in, in a law or gap in what we can do to address problems. And the state has to fix this stuff from time to time. And so I am now losing my track of, train of thought. I'm losing my train in my brain, Allie. Can you help me get my train back? Yes. So you were talking about people feeling safe. Oh, yes. And uh, the cameras and being watched 
at least having the, the cars being washed is going to make them safer. So the question is, if you have the cameras. You're talking about cameras on red lights. So right. if, if a car runs a red light, then they will be ticketed because there's a camera. Is that what you're talking about? I believe that's the idea. So there's an enforcement piece, like though. Like in California and other places. Right. Other states have this kind of technology. Um, the idea is like just having the, the technology visible could be a deterrent. Sure. If it's not, how does it get enforced? Um, you know, you create laws, you create policies like snow removal, right? You have a, mm -hmm. you have a, a policy in place where if you don't remove snow by 9am, you're going to get your neighbor reporting you. And sure. then there, there's potentially going to be a fine, but how do you actually extract that fine? You have to use more government services, more time and energy, more resources to actually follow through yeah. on ensuring there's accountability. So they can mail you a ticket. Absolutely. I mean, you, you don't use the, the mail service for free, right? So there is mm -hmm. cost even with mailing tickets. Sure. So you have that. And then there's another aspect of safety that um, has come up that I sort of squished into this post. Wait, just a second. For yes, that. yes, yes, yes. Like, yes. So the concern being, what is your concern with uh, cameras on red lights other than potential like privacy violations? Well, right. Privacy violations is one. Um, we also have to, if, if we want to have equity as a constant mm. conversation piece that people want to talk about, well, um, when people are moving about in their vehicles and they have a ticket that can spiral into losing the transportation that then, you know, gives them the ability to get to a job. I guess if we had buses and oh, free transportation, like for, then for it won't be moving violations. You, right. Correct. Yeah. You know, that can be, I'm, I'm just thinking in my own situation, my own life, I was pulled over recently. So I had to see those lights mm -hmm. behind me and uh, it's because I had a taillight out. Yeah. And the taillight is something that requires money to be fixed. Right. And right now um, you can donate to my about page at zoomcron.com. If you would like to, to help me fix my vehicle and other costs that I see that, that are mounting, that would be fantastic. Um, but, but really, though, um, you know, I, I didn't get a ticket. I, yeah, that's good. Well, I use my white privilege. No comment. I actually was insured, and he could check that. So because I had insurance, because I didn't have any warrants, um, he wasn't going to waste his time or mine. So, but you know, he did, he did pull me over and I did realize that I need to probably get some, some shit fixed on the, on the old vehicle. But, um, but anyways, the, the concern obviously is, is privacy and, and how enforcement might impact people without a lot of financial resources. But I guess if we all have, you know, Uber for the private sector, free buses for, um, the poorers and anyone else that wants to go multimodal in that fashion, then it won't be as much of a problem. So bring on the cameras and the red lights. I'm not saying to bring on cameras and red lights. In fact, I've, yeah, I remember multiple trips to California being pretty skeptical about cameras on red lights and thinking that that I wasn't a huge fan of that idea. Um, so I'm not saying I support it. You've been kind of against the, su the surveillance state for a while, though. I think mm -hmm. I recall you saying that you were a little weirded out even as a, as a youngster. Yeah, I, I think so. I think before my time is the, the way of saying it. Right. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, you and I are both slightly up there in age when we're talking about um, just the years that pile up and the world that used to exist when kids rode their bikes unintended through neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that kind of that kind of world did happen. And we have some memories from yeah, that. Absolutely. Um, now the kids seem to want safety in, in ways that I don't know if if 
let's say a university system can can actually provide. So the the other little aspect of the post that I wanted to just kind of touch on briefly is this idea that um, if there is a sexual assault on campus, that there is now a requirement that universities provide a timely um, update, some kind of information. The University of Montana provides emails. Right. And the emails, at least one, went out recently without a warning on the email. And so um, the warning less email may provide uh, more or may provide an unnecessary trigger to someone that's in class trying to focus on actually getting educated at, on campus and not needing to necessarily see that something may have happened and there is a need to report information if you know it. Um, it is a requirement of the university to do it. They will include warnings in the future. Um, but in the in my <laughs> I can always sort of um, tell my my state of mind when I write posts because I, I can sometimes tell when I'm more frustrated and agitated with less patience for maybe a, a younger generation I don't necessarily understand and, and this idea of nerfing the world and wanting to make it safe you know my perception is this world is getting increasingly hostile I guess maybe I've had some bad experiences downtown with unstable people that can maybe bias my perspective but what do we need to do to make things safe? Um, I wanted to also just mention, this was actually a, a Kaiman article. So the university newspaper is called the Kaiman. And one of the ASUM senators made a point that I thought was, was worth including in the post. And that is Senator Adrian Cook. And I'll just read this really quick. This is an excerpt from the Kaiman. Senator Adrian Cook said that the point of the Clary Act, so Clary Act is the act requiring this communication, the point of the Clary Act and the timely warnings email is to, to an extent, worry the student body about the crimes by informing them about them. Clary Act emails always ask for students to send tips about the crime in question, according to UMPD's website. UMPD stands for University of Montana Police Department. And then I ended the post with that fun picture of the dog with the wide eyes sitting in a room that's on flames. And it says, don't worry, be happy. Right. Anything to add so to that? The Clary Act yes. is, uh, mandates the university to notify students about sexual assault claims and such. The heart behind that act, I think, is a good one because I remember days when no such notice was given and everything's fine here, don't worry about it. Um, you know, rape doesn't happen here. So. When we were talking about this before recording, um, a specific case of a Saudi Arabian student came up and that that student was actually given time by the, the administration to essentially board an airplane and get the heck out of Dodge. Um, that that's that's slang for get out of the state of Montana and to flee accountability for alleged sexual assaults committed by that student. Right. So I don't know if a timely warning would have impacted a case like that. So I'm. I think seeing any amount of response that actually takes seriously sexual assault is an improvement in some ways. So right. I, I am grateful for that. I think sometimes when you send warnings out like that, it can be very triggering to people who have experienced sexual assault. Yeah. Um, obviously. And also it's hard to pinpoint the threat. Right. It's not just the individual. And in fact, there's not really 
detailed information about which individual committed that. So the threat so, comes off as fairly ambiguous, and that might right. actually heighten the anxiety people experience because there's a lack of specific information. For sure. So, so that could be a challenge there. Um, overall, I'm I'm thankful that they actually at least are are notifying the public now compared to when they did previously. But I, I do understand the concerns about not having a warning and then all of a sudden you're in class, you're in between classes and you get this, I assume it's a text notification or an email notification saying a sexual assault happened on campus. Uh, that, that could be pretty scary. Yes. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I have any kind of direct experiences that would be a specific trigger for an email like that coming in. I think, um, in, in, a, in a world that had maybe really, really effective detectives, a really fantastic, let's say, sheriff's office complementing a more urban police force that was going to really put their resources into investigating and holding accountable serial perpetrators of sexual abuse and sexual assault. Maybe if like we had that, then a person could see an email with a warning, with an appropriate warning, if that's deemed, you know, part of the process, and they would have some confidence that things were going according to plan in a community that had a book by John Krakauer written about it, right. about rape on campus. And so I guess maybe for me, um, those emails are pretty concerning because the question is, what is the follow through? What right. is actually happening behind the scenes um, besides checking a box on this Clary Act mm -hmm. because universities historically across the nation have been so terrible about communicating information and allowing serial rapists to just exist on campus and create more victims by their crimes. And I also think it puts more onus on the victims because once you're the recipient of that, then it's it's sort of like, well, we've we've done our job and notified you. Now it's your duty to act in self-protection. That's a great point. And so it doesn't really hold the perpetrator accountable. It just basically, again, puts the onus on the victims. And I, I get rather tired of that. Indeed. I get tired too. And I, I uh, was hoping recording earlier in the day was going to give more energy, but we're talking about some heavy topics. Um, may even have to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this yeah, that's uh, fair. episode just so that people do know that we're going to be having some, some heavy conversations. And trains shouldn't be a heavy topic, I don't think, except trains are now becoming kind of a heavy topic. Time out, you say. You want to keep... Okay. What would you like to continue talking about? Oh, actually, I'm forgetting what the hand signals signify. This hand signal signifies we're going to take a quick break and we'll return in just a few moments. Stay tuned. Okay, and we are back. So um, the thought I had, Ali, is that the conversation we have about this post is so much more actually expansive because we are able to have two perspectives instead of just me writing an angsty post. Um, so I do understand that um, I am one voice on the blog, but the podcast is two voices right now. And it's really better to have two than just one. So um, and that's I'm just also reflecting that the introduction, the long introduction is me going through the first two posts that were a difficult um, start to the week. And so we're going to be moving on now to another topic that 
Despite the voice itself being a bit of a challenge to listen to, I find the topic to be pretty fascinating, the topic of trains and the timing of trains. Very interesting. So um, a little bit of that, that train conversation happened before you entered today, Allie, and that was from the post about the things that were happening, objects on the ground versus objects in the sky. And so the train situation, obviously in East Palestine, has been briefly discussed. Uh, more, more so the, the fictional overlap between a movie on Netflix, which we're going to have to check out, and what actually happened in reality in East Palestine. And so the, the timing, four days after the, the disaster that developed, four days after that, on February 3rd, we had a podcast on February 7th that was introduced to the public. If the public is listening, I'm not sure if the public is listening, but... You, if you're listening to us, you get to listen to a clip, not just one clip, but two clips. And this first clip is Dave Strohmeyer, our county commissioner. Dave has wanted to be a congressman. Dave has been a city council member. And Dave has a long, passionate history with trains. 16 years. Are you ready for this, Ali? Have you listened to this podcast, Tip of the Spear, yet? I have listened to part of it. You've listened to part of it, but we are now going to re-listen to this clip. Because this is Dave talking about um, creating the Big Sky Passenger Rail. Right. Okay. He's very passionate about that. This is very, very important. And then we're going to get to the, the laughing clip after that. So let me arrange this clip and we're going to listen to it. And then we will discuss. Oh, when I came under the Board of County Commissioners, believe it or not, it's been six years uh, ago now. <laughs> one of the things I thought about was what can counties do differently that these isolated communities, passionate individuals, 501c3 advocacy groups could not accomplish. And the no-brainer that popped out from a map to my consciousness was the one thing that's contiguous across the entire state of Montana are counties. So what can counties do that these other uh, efforts were unable to? Thankfully, here in Missoula County, we've got a whole uh, cadre of, of really sharp deputy county attorneys. And one of these deputy county attorneys found that there was a, and is today, a statute on the books, Montana Code Annotated, that authorizes counties and only counties to come together and jointly establish regional rail authorities. And that's what we did. We figured, okay, this is a mechanism that allows us to form a new governmental entity. Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority is is a unit of state government, a subdivision of state government. It allows us to be that liaison between local, uh, federal, state government, Amtrak with host railroads. The law is written so broadly that we could actually be a railroad if we wanted to be. That is not what we are about. We're not. Gonna, I'm not going to be wearing a conductor's hat on the train anytime soon. Okay, so that is a great little clip of Dave Strohmeyer discussing how um, this map entered his consciousness in this almost like sort of like metaphysical, like finding some kind of like uh, transportation deity that he could um, then worship. Um, I'm maybe just being a little bit hyperbolic, but really though, the the map of the counties and the and the strategy then that develops from Dave Strohmeyer's perspective uh, really makes sense then for someone that's seen him go from city council to the county because they now have an entity they have created the big sky uh, passenger rail entity or authority i'm sorry not entity authority 
And I actually cut off the clip a little bit early. Um, at the very end, after he talked about how they could be a railroad, but don't worry, he's not going to be putting on his railroad hat anytime soon. Um, he's, he then says, but we could. Unfortunately, I cut that part off. It was, it was really, it was emphatic. But, um, Ali, you, you listened to that clip again, so you probably heard that maybe for the first time. But, but anything... I actually heard that for the second time. Good. So you had... I, I had heard that part. Was it was it fun listening to it twice? Is that is that it, not the right question? I, I think it was more <laughs> fresh the first time. So this authority that's been created is it going to help uh, spread the economic activity that Dave talks about later in the podcast? Because D Dave is talking about two hundred and seventy million dollars if the Hiawatha route. Um, and maybe we should actually get into some of the details of what's being discussed because this is where I am telling people that follow me on Twitter. At MadPoet19, I hate saying shit like that. Um, at, you can follow me on Twitter at MadPoet19. I'm a mad poet, Allie. Not okay. mad as in crazy, but as, as in angry. Isn't that funny? I, I named myself that many, many years ago. Wait, was that so? Okay, I'm, I'm not. I didn't know. So, so Mad, mad Poet on 19, MadPoet19 at Twitter. Um, good lord. The reason why this is important is because I try and communicate to people beyond Missoula um, that stuff happening in Missoula is important. Missoula County was the driver of 19 counties in the state of Montana forming this authority. These are routes that they want to revive because Amtrak Joe, Amtrak Joe, that's how they refer to President Biden, Amtrak Joe, and sure. Mayor Pete is actually referenced also, Mayor Pete um, presiding over a completely terrible, um, awful chemical disaster in Ohio. Um, they are talking about these routes and reviving them. And the Hiawatha route would be going from Chicago through Montana to Seattle. There's this discussion of just how amazing it would be to pop on, you know, a, a train, hop, get some lunch. You end up in Seattle, you do some amazing things, you know, you come back. It's just, it's pie in the sky stuff that the money that's going to be coming from the federal government is really what all of this hinges on. And to show you what they're talking about, $15 million just for a study has been, um, has been provided and they are hoping to get the results in November of this year. And that's actually a pretty quick turnaround for anything the federal government's doing. So we got the feds kicking up 15 million to, to study which routes to possibly revive um, I call it the Lazarus effect. I thought you'd appreciate that. I do appreciate that. And we're going to see what happens. And Dave is very excited. He says, uh, he says, b b before you get a shot at it, he, everything in his power, like humanly possible in the next 10 months, everything humanly possible. This is a county commissioner saying how much of his time and energy he is going to be spending on this project. And it, it just makes me wonder if there's other things in the county that could use a little maybe time and energy from Dave Strohmeyer, or if this is going to just like in the next 10 months take up all of his focus. I have to say I'm equally excited as Mr. Strohmeyer about passenger rail, not possibly for the reasons that he is, but I am a firm believer in the Hyperloop. And I fully believe, um, just as Dave had a revelation, he, he in his consciousness, got um, just a revelation of light rail everywhere. I also had a vision about the Hyperloop, which is a high-speed transit system that is sub 
of, of vacuum sealed pods that go really, really fast. And you're supposed to go be able to go from New York to LA in 45 minutes. And so I actually believe highways are going by way of the grave and the future is looking a lot different than the present. And I, so perhaps Dave is ahead of his time and I, I, <laughs> I know you were working really hard to find something positive to say I've, and <laughs> marrying the, the train obsession of Dave Strohmeyer with your vision of the uh, Hyperloop is creative. I'll, it, I'll give you that. It's, it's creative. It's true. So I, I don't know about light rail. That seems perhaps a thing of the past, maybe 1800s or whatever, but I am fully on board with paving the way. And I do that mean that literally for the Hyperloop and things like that. So they do talk about electrifying the trains at some point because yeah. a lot of trains have diesel. Okay, you say that I think like that's a good thing and that's that that worries me, but we'll we'll just we'll we'll let that slide for for the time being. Um I think where where Dave is going is hoping for, you know, I think just positive experiences for people that have transportation challenges. So one of the things that he's talked about in terms of transportation equity is why so many tribes are on board with this authority. Um, you have tribes that are oftentimes very remotely located on the reservations that we have placed them on. Um, we, as in the, the colonizers, me, the evil white man. And it's interesting because one of, one of the more awkward points I touch on in the post is when they do discuss the history of trains being pretty significant in the decimation of um, the, the tribal folks and the indigenous peoples and in, in their range, their ability to sort of move around. So it's, it's with some irony they note that we have many tribes signing on to this authority because how do you get to a hospital? And I can actually, I'll really quickly mention a, a situation in which a, a, an indigenous woman who was a, one of the chronic homeless folks on the street, um, she was one of these folks that needed, I've heard that people don't like the word folks, and I'm trying not to use the word folks. And so Who said that? I can't remember, but if, I, if you hear me using the word folks, I'm actually trying to take that word out of my vernacular. Anyways... The situation with this chronically hom homeless indigenous woman resulted in her having so many broken bones because she had she really needed to be in a nursing home and actually had been in a nursing home and then left, was under the influence of alcohol, falling out of the wheelchair. And what ended up happening for the surgery she needed, they flew her in an airplane to Seattle. So if there's passenger rail, we could take chronically homeless people and put them on the train and send them to Seattle. Or you could put them on the Hyperloop and they get there faster. Well, you know, trains might have nice little stops, you know, to those like re-education camps along the way. And so maybe you take a few dissidents also, you know, you want to get like a lot of different types of people on the train, just put them all in there. You could even have different sort of socioeconomic segments of the train. Okay. What I'm, what I'm referencing is a show called Snowpiercer in which like the only humans left on earth are on a train going around the world. What? Um, yeah, it's a totally great show. And the people at the front of the train are rich and the people at the back of the train, not so rich. How's that different from buses and Rosa Parks? I don't know. How's that different from the Lego world you see over there that I'm creating? Okay. We're getting way off topic. So, um, what, what I want to do now is have another clip that we're going to play. Okay. So there's another clip. Um, I'm going to go ahead and hit pause. This clip is going to play for you, the listening audience, and then we're going to get back on and we're going to talk. Okay. okay. That is our hope. Uh, it, our goal is to do everything humanly possible in the next 10 months 
to make sure that this route is at the top of the heap for recommended routes. How, do you, how do you do that? Good question. Well, it helped that we had a hand in writing the criteria <laughs> by which these routes would be reviewed. So, for instance... Okay, that is some rich laughter at the conclusion of that brief audio clip. All three of our county commissioners had quite the chuckle over the idea that they wrote the criteria and therefore will benefit come review time because they had a hand in writing the criteria. Ha, 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 What do you think about that, Allie? I think if the criteria make room for the hyperloop, then I'm on board. Oh, man. Metaphorically speaking. I'm not, I'm also not wearing a conductor's hat. Well, it's, it's really nice to hear all of our county commissioners getting along so well. And you, Allie, don't seem to think that they have a broad listening audience. I'm not sure that they do, but... I think the fascinating thing that people should be aware of is that there are moments of not, I wouldn't say transparency, but uh, what's that, what's that word when it's unguarded, you know, where you're too comfortable and you're saying too much. Candor. Yes. That word. There is some candor in some of these, some of these gems of what is being planned. And, you know, because they don't think there's anything to hide. They are true believers of the transformation, the great reset, you know, the, the, to save the planet kind of things that need to happen in their mind, they are fully on board. So why hide it anymore? Just like, like, like the Satanists on, on the Grammys, why hide your Satanism? Why hide your multimodal zealotry? Just bring it all out to the open, right? You know what I want to know? What? What does Gidge think about this? Okay, so Gidge, for people that don't know, is also a county commissioner of sorts with three furry legs. I love Gidge. There's paws at the end of those legs because Gidge is a dog. And our county commissioners want us to think that they are serious people. And here, here, Here's something I should actually mention. Because we have, okay, Twitter. We were talking about Twitter. I was spitting out my, my handle. Okay, Missoula County also has a Twitter handle, and recently Missoula County has been getting sassy. I don't want the people getting paid to communicate basic things from the county to be commenting on Leonardo DiCaprio and the age of the girls that he's dating. Okay, I don't know anything about Twitter or Missoula County's Twitter handle. I was just wondering if Gidge the dog approves of the real plan, and will he be riding the train and will he be wearing a conductor's hat well you know gidge probably would benefit if gidge wants to like go check out seattle go to the space needle have some fun by the ocean i actually think that would be a great marketing campaign if i could offer that as a as a piece of advice for free i i would like to absolutely no you can you can you can definitely do that um and you can also just keep talking while i scroll through scroll through my twitter so i can I can give you the specific language of the sassiness because I think um, how our how our taxes are are used is important, and if it's being used to be sassy on Twitter. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Well, and first of all, I don't know that you can talk about being sassy on Twitter from what I've heard. That I am not posted. getting paid any public money. Um, <laughs> I'm in fact getting paid virtually no money. But but also, what did this <laughs> have point. to do with passenger rail? You know. We, that's another good point, okay? You've you made two good points. And unfortunately, that was just enough time for me to find the tweet and to wrap up this tangent, which really should not probably have begun in the first place. But here's Missoula County, okay? 
This is Missoula County. I just want to let you know that I'm not making this up. Missoula County, Montana. This is their official Twitter. They, they paid extra money for that new logo right there, the star thing. Yeah, that's what right. What is that? Uh, you know, I don't know. But here's the tweet. Did you know that Missoula County is 163 years old? This is 29 years older than the state of Montana and 138 years older than women Leonardo DiCaprio will date. Wait, I'm not a math person, so what does that mean? Well, in, in, in all actuality, um, the math was wrong. I think Allison Franz, who in all likelihood is the one making these tweets, like, she's our communication person for the county. Difference or what? I, I think she got the numbers r the wrong. I'm an English major. I'm not going to try Wait, and wade no, into I'm the math. I, I'm probably wrong. I don't know. The point being, why? I think maybe it's 25 years. Hmm. I don't know. So but it's, why it's, do we care? I don't even care about Leonardo DiCaprio. Exactly. And I don't think uh, people on paid public time should probably be caring too much about celebrities either. But, you know, Yellowstone. I appreciate the engagement on some level. Okay. Okay. You just have Not really. I actually don't because I don't, you know, I know very little about celebrities. So it, you're, you're offering it means nothing to way me. too much of a good positive balance for, I'm sorry. I, sh I will, I have to bring darker, darker clouds of cynicism. <laughs> okay. And we'll do it with Yellowstone. I do not support Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. I, I don't necessarily oppose him either, but well, I don't know. What I'm going to take a look at now is a picture of Legos. And Wait, what did you say about Yellowstone? I'm going to get to that. Okay. But first, I have to talk about Legos. Okay. So I use an image of Legos. And for people that are listening, since it's a podcast episode, it, this is an actual um, fencing from a, a Jurassic Park set, meaning it's pretty militarized looking. And this is the fencing I suggested might be necessary for upper rattlesnake. Because here in Missoula, Montana, we've got little enclaves. So little socioeconomic pockets, some more resourced, some, some less, right? And there is a question about whether or not, and this question was actually brought up by Gwen Jones, our city council member. And I have to commend Gwen Jones because something is going to happen to a piece of private property. There is over 20 acres in the upper rattlesnake that used to be a winery. It's the 10 spoon winery. And the owners are going to use their private property rights um, to Put it in conservation and the reason why i brought up yellowstone is because the narrative of the ranch being saved from the environmentalists or from the billionaire guy or from whoever's attacking poor poor kevin costner's character john dutton they put it in a conservation like easement protection thing yeah and so this is happening upper rattlesnake potentially will have 20 acres of what um, Parks and Rec financial terrorist Donna Gockler is calling prime agriculture that the city needs to try and, and save. And I guarantee you there will be no density, the density preached by those that know better than you and I about how Missoula should grow. There, there shall be no density in the upper rattlesnake. There shall be no fourplexes, probably not right. twoplexes. Maybe some granny shacks will be allowed through variants. I don't know. But, but what I know is there is a heroic effort and that is Donna Gockler's word. It is heroic for these private folks to put this in conservation so that so that people can frolic and enjoy nature out in the upper rattlesnake. Meanwhile, on the other side of that hill that protects them from the urban decay and the meth sure. abuse and the mental illness and all of that fun stuff that comes with cities, you know, they'll be protected from that. And if they build a fence like I'm 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 project or not pro projecting, but uh prophesying <laughs> sorry <laughs> if, if, if they want to take this idea that I'm, I'm giving them for free I'm not charging them a consulting fee 
Normally, something like this would cost twenty thousand dollars of your of your tax money to make. But if they build the fence, who's going to open it and who's going to shut it? That's a great question. I am going to be moving into the private security business. I haven't told you yet, but I'm uh, I have a new LLC, and I now I'm, I'm private security, and I open all fences on all bridges. That's actually really terrifying. It's it's also not true. I just made it up. So we're going to be moving on. Wait, wait. What? We're not moving on from this post, right? No, you're right. We probably shouldn't. Is that's, there more? that's a pretty significant deal because I think, um, to Donna Gockler's point about preserving the open space in the rattlesnake. Oh, that's right. You were actually for this. Once hey, again, you whoa. were, you were going to be the voice of what some people out there are going to think is reason. Just a second now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I, I think at the heart of that, there are a lot of Missoulians who want to keep Missoula, Missoula. And so what does that look like? It looks like keeping the open space that we've been familiar with all our lives to be kept there because otherwise everything gets over. Um, I don't want to say the word overpopulated. That is so not what I'm intending to say at all. Um, but the, it just, it's not the beautiful community that we've known and loved forever. And so I understand the heart behind that. I believe your concern is that it's, discriminatory in the sense of not every place within this city or county is treated equally as far as where density goes. And that is also an interesting point. Yes. Two things, two things about my biases. Number one, spread the pain. Yes. I'm saying, um, if you guys uh, in influenced decision-making city council land, if you guys want to be, let's say, developing Larchmont golf course and pushing density out there. Um, thousands of housing units were being projected in this plan not that long ago out at Larchmont because, you know, it's the golfers, it's those privileged people golfing, which is not necessarily something that the decision makers want to protect. Um, I like golf. Golf, you know, it's, it's fantastic. I think, um, so, you know, that number one, my bias being spread the pain. And I say it's a bias because I'm just kind of like in that mode this week of spreading the pain as evidenced by how I started off the week with the post. Point two, trolling Danny Tenenbaum. So I am trolling Danny Tenenbaum because Danny Tenenbaum is a former state legislator that was very active in advocating for Larchmont to be developed. And my, my bias ultimately is that Danny Tenenbaum snuck into a church and filmed inside that church. And I'm still a little butthurt about that. So um, that bias is sort of up front. I like to put it up front. Also, because I kind of like to remind people that Danny Tenenbaum snuck into a church and filmed inside that church. Um, those were different days. That was like a, over well over a year ago. And I tried to actually make a police report and nothing ever happened. Anyways, Danny Tenenbaum, I'm trolling him in this post because I know that's his hood, the rattlesnake kind of hood. And I'm curious if he's going to have the same kind of zeal, the kind of zeal that on his Twitter handle... He says, former state legislator, probably thinking about housing in his Twitter bio. Um, side note, we have discussed, and by we, I mean I, have discussed Twitter way too much in this episode. I'm No use of the word folks, less talking about Twitter. Sounds good to me. Okay. Um, so I'm glad that you, you said that we needed to continue discussing this post a bit because having also nice things to say about Gwen Jones, that's kind of a, a change for me. And I want to highlight one of the, the parts of this Missoulian article. I think it was a Missoulian article. Yes, it is. So here we go. This is a quote from the article. 
Ward 3 Councillor Gwen Jones worried about the trade-off from putting a conservation easement on otherwise developable, <laughs> developable land. She pointed out the 10-spoon property is flat, close to residential neighborhoods, and connected to city utilities, positioning the area for potential housing development in the future. A conservation easement would eliminate that option. Quote, it's really a competing values type scenario, Jones noted Wednesday. I guess my concern is just the city being part of the equation and not ever having any development on that land. I was surprised by not being angry at that. So you agree with Gwen Jones on that? Um, I pre- I don't know if I would agree. That is strong language. That is that is fighting. I'm just asking. What I would say is I appreciate her saying explicitly that this is a uh, it's, you know values. This is a what, what does she say? It's a competing values type scenario because I think she's right. It is a competing values type scenario. Gwen Jones represents the university area, another enclave that is very resistant to change to the point of trying to pass occupancy standards many, many years ago um, that would have kept basically more than one or two unrelated people from from residing within a, the same residence. This impacted potential nursing homes in the area, and also you're, you're talking about a university district by a university, there's students, there's oftentimes sure. many unrelated people trying to cram together in this economy, especially as people are trying to um, afford rent. Wowzers. So other things to cover in this post before I think we actually will be wrapping up um, that's the an Friday bonus post. That's an interesting debate, I guess, right? About the preservation of Missoula as it was, has been, Right versus what does change look like and what does it look like in the neighborhoods like the rattlesnake it's interesting also i'll mention um because i'll read this part um of the of the article as well but parks and rec parks and recreation director donna gockler pointed out quote individual property owners still do have individual property rights to choose to do with their property as they wish Gockler said the benefit of the project would be the preservation of agricultural land, something she believes the city hasn't been very successful at achieving on its own. She called the 10-spoon effort heroic. So I would contrast the private property rights of these folks with Holland Lake. Now, Holland Lake is in a, a more sort of wild part of our state, not too far away from Missoula. We're talking about um, what, like, how many miles north? Is, is Holland Lake. So up in the Swan Valley, Holland Lake is is up for potential redevelopment. There had to be a process of getting a permit through the, um, I think the Forest Service had to have a say. But it's, it's just kind of interesting as you think about the fervor. I mean, I see signage trying to protect Holland Lake all over the place. Billboards, I think Tester weighed in on that, and at least trying to say, make sure the process is slowed down so that everyone has a chance to, to make comments. You know, you've got Holland Lake as potentially land that can be developed for, well, for, for the financial benefit of the, the people that own it. Um, but it, it's just kind of interesting to think about that. I don't know if Donna Gockler would be so supportive of the property rights up there in Holland Lake. So I do think the conversation about the preservation of agricultural lands is very important. Yes, it is. And I hate to bring up the China spy balloon. But, but please Again, do. but I can't stop myself because... Are you talking about, is Bill Gates considered a China spy balloon? 
Can you can you consider the Bill ch- Gates a, the Chinese a, spy balloon? Like himself as a he's a flesh bot like a flesh bag. I don't know because agricultural land is something that Bill Gates is also very interested in, well, and so in, I hate to agree with Donna Gockler. You've seen this recently, right? Yes. In light of the news about the Chinese spy balloon, that there has been for a long time talks about preserving agricultural land, specifically in Montana. Senator Tester has been a great champion of that. I believe Senator Danes as well. Um, so it's interesting. I philosophically, I do believe that America should preserve agricultural lands to the degree that it, it's, it's possible. Exactly. So, so, so let me, oh man, it's so frustrating to have to like agree and have a more reasonable conversation. Um, I just like by myself sometimes in the morning, writing my incendiary posts, sitting there just scowling at my screen with my finger pecking. That's not actually how it looks most of the time, just sometimes. But um, because I am in reluctant agreeance, that's not a word, but with you yeah. in, in principle, I am going to amend what I, what I said in terms okay. of the Lego fencing. Move the Lego fencing to Hellgate and then um, east of town. So on I-90, we'll just fence off one side and then the other side. So one side to the east, one side to the west, west and then we'll preserve lots of agricultural land and we'll stop everyone else from coming in and, or we'll, we'll make them pay a toll. And it'll be militarized, so we'll have a lot that of like guns. Pretty protectionist. That yeah, that's what I I you know it, I think the rattlesnake folks will be ultimately happy. And, and I only say this because I think chaos will continue to descend upon this nation. Um, right now, we've got some of the most incompetent people. I mean, okay, so the the train post. I forgot to mention the name or the title of the post. It's who wants to ride that Democrat train to hell? Because we have. Biden talking about um, not giving money to Ohio, but like more money to Ukraine. We've got Dianne Feinstein. I don't know if you realize that Dianne Feinstein is so cognitively impaired. She literally was talking to like reporters after it was announced that she's going to be retiring. She's getting out there. She's like 89 years old. And she did not recall that she had made that announcement, that that announcement had been sent out. Oh, really? Yeah. So Dianne Feinstein. um, We also have the Fetterman guy who's been checked into Walter Reed Hospital for uh, depression, allegedly, but sure. this is the, the stroke candidate mm-hmm. who could not string together sentences. Um, we have Mayor Pete, who is just kind of trying to blame Trump for, for broken trains. Um, so, so yay, Democrats. I used to be a progressive. Um, we've talked about this a little bit, that you and I come from different um, former political ideologies, but we're sort of like crashing in this new world of what the fuck. This is interesting. I always retain a respect for the offices people hold, even if I disagree with their opinions or all of that. I, for whatever reason, I have this deeply rooted conviction to pray for those in authority. Well, I mean, the conviction is this, that we're on the same ship. So I really don't want it sinking. I don't want to ride the Titanic down. And so it's, while I may vehemently disagree with certain people in authority i definitely don't want them to fail per se i mean maybe not their policies succeed but yeah as individuals so i i think i i carry that in my heart and sort of hold that tension within me too um but i won't go off on ronald reagan tangents well the the john tester tangent i had in mind is that he seems to in the in the chinese balloon drama playing out uh, positioning for some some nice cheddar 
for some defense spending. So I think there's some positioning happening from his very influential position on the committee that he's the um, the chair of. Good. And well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I I was going to say though, I think John Tester might be trying to channel one of the most influential politicians that Montana has had, and that is Max Baucus. When it comes to money and when it comes to China. Remember Max Baucus? Oh, yeah. He became the ambassador to China. Oh, I do remember interesting. That. That's an interesting conversation. That is interesting. So um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to spring something on you, Allie. Oh, no. I know. You hate when something is sprung on you. Yeah. But um, actually, this is good because this is acknowledging that we have had a, a long, rich conversation already and that I don't think it would be... Um, I don't think it would do justice to the topic that I wanted to end with to actually end with the update to Rebecca Varsati's case. Okay. I, th right now, and partly I just don't know if I have the energy to, to get into that. Um, but the, the thing I wanted to spring on you is as I consider different ways of monetizing content, um, I don't know if we've talked too much about Patreon. I'm looking at possibly supporting some content creators on Patreon. Uh, Deborah gets red-pilled. Um, so I've been interviewed twice on the Deborah gets red pilled podcast. Adam decided to take their podcast to having some exclusive content on Patreon. Dean Reiner is also going to be on Patreon. And so it's frustrating. Those guys kick ass and I'm going to have to probably at least for a short amount of time, although my finances are super, super tight. Um, I really want to be supporting those guys to get the exclusive content that they're putting behind a paywall. Part of what Dean Reiner is looking into is true crime topics. And so, so part of the idea might be to um, have some conversations where a portion of it is, is able to be public, but then a extended version is behind the paywall. So that's what a lot of other content creators are, are doing. Um, we have the potential of having a good interview coming up. Um, I, I was reminded recently to not jinx interviews. Even if you have it scheduled, don't talk about it because sometimes they don't happen. So Kat was already out of the bag. If you want to listen to the last week's episode of who I'm hoping to be able to have a conversation with, but um, that, those are opportunities to potentially move some supporters. If you're listening right there and you're liking the content, um, there are ways that you can financially support content creators as they are trying to create niches. Um, I don't actually listen to a lot of podcasters that are doing what we're doing, Ali, which is um, talking about the local headlines and really keeping that focus local in part because they're chasing larger audiences because you kind of have to do that in order to make it financially viable. Um, and so in this new world of multimedia content creation, um, I'm going to continue to just look at options. And I think Patreon to some degree might be a way to have some, some different content that, that can be done behind a paywall um, maybe some more experimental stuff, entertaining stuff. Um, music is something that sometimes or so far has always ended the, the each podcast episode. Um, we know a lot of talented people in this town and there could be a way to highlight musicians, you know, that are both local or maybe coming through town. Um, even having guest hosts that come through and help us talk about local headlines. I think there's all kinds of things to think about. Um, if you do enjoy this content, like I said, you can go to zoomcron.com. You can go to my about page and there is a somewhat clunky way to donate, but I do get donations trickling in and I do deeply, deeply appreciate um, any amount that, um, that is provided as a financial donation. I was able to meet one person, had coffee with them, 
it was fantastic. He, he wanted to support on like a $10 a month basis, what I was doing at the, at the, at the, the blog, right? Because he remembers people like Molly Ivins from Texas, even though, you know, she was kind of progressive, she was pretty entertaining and what she would write about. Um, so he kind of appreciated to the tune of, um, I think almost like a hundred dollars. He gave me a bunch of, a bunch of financial support and we had some coffee and chatted and that was fantastic. So, um, and to anyone else out there that has provided some support in terms of a financial donation, I thank you greatly. And that conversation will be something we'll continue to have off the recorded blah, blah, blah. And I won't spring a lot more on you because I know that's not always fair to just spring things on you. But that might wrap it up. What do you think? Okay. Did you have the energy and inclination to get into that case? Are you disappointed we're not going to keep keep talking? We don't have to. There is so much. That's part, part of my thinking is, um, and uh, what I said before, you know, you and I got a chance to record today. So earlier this morning when it was before the sun was coming up. The, the case is really difficult for me to follow. So it's, it's hard. I, we, I haven't even written about it. And so that's one reason why we're not really looking at a post because this is a, a civil process. It's a personal representative process. It's something that is kind of the way it's playing out is unique in a lot of ways that you can articulate. I am struggling to keep up. So um, I think we, we need to talk more about what that content might look like. Talk to some of the primary sources we have, we have ongoing conversations with. Um, and I just don't want to, I don't want to risk anything as I've listened recently to some other people discuss this case. And I just know where I'm at in terms of, <laughs> oh, being able to, to be kind of positive, not that it's a positive topic, but you want to, you want to treat subjects like these with respect because we're talking about. Um, someone's family member that is no longer alive. So in order to treat that subject with the respect I think it requires, we're going to hold off. But that's a tease because it is coming. Okay. So don't just nod your head. You got to say oh, something. Sound, sounds good. As a positive affirmation to make me feel better about springing something on you. So you okay. Now you got to make me feel better, which is really un unfair because um, as we haven't, or uh, so I say, I want to say off camera, but that's not the phrase because we're not recording any visual stuff. But um, I am not always the easiest person to be around. So this has been a difficult week. I'm glad that this podcast got pieced together. Um, these last couple of weeks with technology, with just some of the stuff happening. Um, Allie, thank you so much for getting on this microphone and helping me talk about these these topics because. I guarantee you it is much, 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 much less interesting. Just me on the microphone alone. So thank you. Thank you. And I think we can look at wrapping it up. Thank you. So tune in next week. There will be a tune I'm sure playing. Thank you so much. You're listening to Zoom Cron Week in Review. I'm your host, Travis williams kink Mateer, And sitting in, my co-host, Allie. Thanks. All right. Next week. Until then, adios. Sugar, are you sweet or damaging to hearts? Daddy holds the money for mommy's grocery cart. Never ever question brand names on the screen. Symbol diving is scary. 
the surfaces are clean. Oh, I know the taste is a good show. Oh, oh. Sugar, are you helping or hovering with wings? Inversion is a sickness, the shadows are winning. Because you sit and wait for leaders or for God. Shrinking always smaller to disappear in lawns. Oh, I know the taste is a good show. Stop it, motherfuckers, and get up off your ass Before the monsters come mowing down your grass Stop being apathetic, stop each dumb excuse You don't want to ride on David's red caboose No, oh, I know the taste is a good show. Sugar, are you sweet? Or damaging to hearts? Daddy holds the money for mommy's grocery carts. Never ever question brand names on the screen. Symbol diving, it's scary, but the surfaces are clean. And I know that the taste of these sweets is a good show sugar are you helping or hovering with wings inversion is a sickness the shadows are winning because you sit and wait for leaders or for god shrinking always smaller to disappear in lawns oh i know Taste is a good show, oh, oh, yeah. Stop it, motherfuckers, and get up off your ass before these monsters come mowing down your grass. Stop being apathetic, stop each dumb excuse. You don't want to ride on David's red caboose, no, you don't. Oh, I know. The taste, it's a good show. Oh, 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 oh. I hope you enjoy this show. It's a week in review, and the weeks just keep happening, whether we want them to or not. So tune in next week for ZoomCron Week in Review. I'm your host and bard, Travis Williams Kink Mateer. Thanks for listening.